Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. This gospel passage is one of my two favorites. Zacchaeus, the short guy who had to climb a tree to see Jesus, and this one are my two favorite gospel passages. But this gospel passage is very, very transformative. But in order for it to have the power, we need to go a little bit deeper than simply, oh good, she didn't get stoned. Right? There's something much deeper happening. So I kind of want to draw us in a little bit before I kind of end with the final reflection. So it says, early in the morning, Jesus goes into the temple area. So you have to imagine he comes into the temple area while it still feels like morning, right? So there's that dew in the air. It's kind of quiet. A few workers are just working around. You know, the morning fog is starting to lift. And there's Jesus just walking in this incredibly sacred building that both as God and man, he has very deep relationship with. He's walking around, looking at the columns, soaking it in, knowing everything that the temple is meant to be and knowing everything that he actually is. And as he's there, people are coming because they know he's in that area and they've heard of his reputation. They know he's worked miracles. They've heard that he's preached with the religious leaders of the day and he's debated with them eloquently and effectively. They've heard he's incredibly gracious and kind. And so they start coming in, and as they start piling in in this morning, he sits down, which is the posture of a teacher, and he begins to teach them all the things we've always read in Scripture he teaches, right? The truth of who God is and who he's not. A loving Father who has beautiful plans for our fulfillment, and a loving Father, because he loves us, shows us all the ways we can go the wrong way. He also teaches us who we are, the great dignity we bear. He also lets us know that when we forget that and we act less than who we are and we turn our back on God, he reminds us of the mercy waiting for us, that all we have to do is repent, turn around, and we will be welcomed home. And he's communicating this in such a way that not only physically are they drawing near in this morning temple scene, but even in their hearts, they are longing to be close to this man who when he speaks, they're on fire. When he speaks, their heart is filled with hope. And into this beautiful symphony of teaching and being set on fire comes a cacophony. This interrupting noise as these, they bring this woman who's caught in the very act of adultery. They shove her in front of all the people. And they point right at Jesus and at her and they say, you know the law of Moses that God gave us? She knows it. The punishment was if you do this, you get stoned to death. What do you say? You can see the violence of this interruption compared to the beauty of the revelation that Jesus was doing. And so they're asking him, they're pointing fingers at her, and as you look at her, 
You see a woman with clothes disheveled, hair all over the place, and she looks lifeless. Lifeless because she has already absorbed the accusations as her identity. The finger pointing, the name calling, she's identified with. And so she considers herself as, that's who I am, it's what I've done. That's it. And she knows, that's it, I get stoned. This is it. Her greatest fear is on display. Right? Imagine if your stuff was known. Right? Gives us a new appreciation for this seal of confession, huh? To have your stuff exposed so violently and recklessly. She's just totally exposed. And so the presence in her life of accusation and condemnation is so intense, she's even adopting those voices and calling herself all those names that you can imagine. And then there's the presence of Jesus who just bends down and starts writing in the dirt. Doesn't participate, doesn't fight, doesn't add to the intensity just disarms things with silence. And they keep pressing in on him. Tell us, what will you do? What will you do? Because they know if he goes against Moses, they can now arrest him and get rid of him. And if he agrees with Moses, well, then he has to stone him. He can't be Mr. Merciful and forgiving to sinners. So they're trying to trap him. And finally, he stands up and just says, who's ever without sin, let that person cast the first stone and they leave one and one at a time. You see, what Jesus did there was created a space. By disarming the situation, getting rid of the condemnation, he creates a space and a context for her to receive her identity in a new way. For her to be looked at in a way other than condemnation. He helped her see herself through his eyes. When World Youth Day was in America, in Denver, Pope St. John Paul II told all the youth in Denver, you are not the sum of your weaknesses and failures. I mean, that's not what defines you. That's not who you are. You are the sum of of the Father's love for you and your real capacity to make Jesus present in the world. This is what Jesus came to do, was to show us, remind us, help us to see and experience through his eyes, in his voice, radiating from his body, his presence, to awaken in us who we really are. And who you are, you are and who I am is an unrepeatable image of God. That's our dignity. That's not dependent on you acting perfectly. It's not lost when we mess up. That's our identity. It was given to us by our creation. And yes, the sins we've done all right, crumples up that piece of artwork. 
but it doesn't get rid of the artwork. The condemnation and accusations of others and what we say to ourselves crumples the beautiful artwork. But Jesus comes to unfold it. The beauty's still in there. And as he leans in to this woman, he says, does anyone here condemn you? No one, sir. Meaning, he so created a space where all the condemnation was gone and she could receive who she is, that there's more to her than her mistakes. Her story is still being written. This doesn't sum her up. This doesn't determine her because the power and mercy of Jesus is breaking in and she's now set free to live who she's always been created to be. And that's why he says, go and sin no more. Meaning, now that I have revealed to you anew who you are, don't go back to eat out of the dumpster. Live for the banquet. Don't settle. There are great dreams and plans God the Father has for you. And so on this fifth Sunday of Lent, the question is, where in your life do you need Jesus to create a space of freedom so you can be who God tells you you are? Where do you need Jesus to get rid of the voices of condemnation, the false identities and labels we've accepted so that the liberating power of God can pulsate through you and you can know who you are and whose you are. It might have been 20 years ago. It might have been last night. It might have been adultery. It might have been murder. It might have been cussing someone out on 77 or 480. But oftentimes in these places in our stories, the labeling and finger pointing at us, we identified with. And Jesus is eager this fifth Sunday, the remaining days of Lent, to step in to protect, to step in to heal, and to step in and reveal that you have always been and always are an unrepeatable image of God. And so where do you need Jesus this week to step in? Because that woman caught in adultery couldn't give that gift to herself. She needed a Jesus Christ. We can't do it for ourselves, but we can become aware of where we need him and ask him, would you do for me what you've done for people for 2,000 years? Amen.